Welcome to SIS Empowerment Radio, where we share information and knowledge that empowers and infuse harmony into your everyday living. I'm Raisa Nazair, and I'm here with my guest, Sky. Sky, how are you? And our topic for today is birthing in uncertain times. Sky, welcome. Thank you for joining us this evening. Yes, thank you, Raisa. I'm happy to be here. How are you this evening? I'm doing well. You know, I was just thinking before the show that these babies that are coming in right now, they have to be some kind of courageous and purposeful because they are coming in right on the front line. Yes, yes, indeed. Indeed they are. Listen, as we were discussing that now in this time, with birthing in such uncertain times, that the most mundane aspects of our lives now have extra steps to it. If you go to the store, you have to think about grabbing your mask, your gloves. Um, If there's going to be a line, you have to stand outside, how much time that's going to be. Things have become much more complicated and pregnancy and birthing are no exception. Mothers-to-be have to give greater thought to all kinds of decisions, like where they're going to give birth, if they just happen to have some virus-like symptoms that come up during pregnancy. There's now visitor restrictions during and post-birthing birthing that may rule out an entire support network. And they may even have to deal with postpartum depression which could be more severe, faced with limited outside support. So there could be uh, an invisible yet very palpable extra layer of stress upon this sacred and timeless birthing process. This gives us an opportunity to relook at alternative birth methods that either don't involve going to a hospital at all or limit time that's being spent in the hospital. Because as we all know, a hospital is is where the epicenter of this crisis is occurring. And then another thing that has come up is the disparities and shortcomings in our healthcare system as we see the system being overloaded. And as a result of this, midwives and doulas are seeing increased interest in birthing at home. Another opportunity is that we get to look at how technology can be used for a more comfortable birthing process for pre, during, and post-birthing. And we look at this to understand how, with all of this going on, we can still minimize stress on both mother and child. And so we have our guest tonight, Hayes Hawk-Rosen. She's a healer, a ceremonialist, who currently practices as a birth and postpartum doula. She's a childbirth educator and a peer lactation consultant. Hayes, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes, welcome. We're glad to have you with us this evening. Would you please kick off with a little background about yourself, how you became a doula, 
And then from there, we'll just jump into some questions on how you are seeing the world now, how mothers are experiencing this. And I made mention earlier that the children who are coming in now really have to be some powerful beings in that they are coming in on the front line. So we'd like to delve more into that as we get into the podcast. So let's start with you. Okay, so um, I became a doula. I became a doula um, because of the birth of my son. Um, he uh, was an unexpected surprise. And, um, <laughs> I was the first one in my family to uh, to have uh, a child. I was also the first one. I was also the first one in my in my uh, peer group to have a child. Um, <laughs> and for some reason, I just knew that the way I wanted to do it was was um, I wanted a home birth and I wanted to work with a midwife. I have no idea what made me think that, but it was something from within me, and I knew that was the way I was going to do it. And my friends thought I was nuts. Um, but I did it, and... It felt great, and it was beautiful and amazing and powerful. The thing that changed my life, because literally before this, I was a dancer. I was um, an actress. I had done theater and touring in New York and Florida, you know, the East Coast. I had done all that, and that's where I thought the direction of my life was going to go until I had my son. And I had my son, my midwife's best friend was in town and she said well I could attend if you would like I can support you and you know I I had no idea so I was like sure why not (laughs) but literally an hour and a half into it I looked at her and I said what is this you're doing because you're saving my life what is this called what what is this Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she said oh I'm I'm a doula and I said okay what is a doula and she said well honey let's talk about this after you have after right <laughs> <laughs> <Middle> of childbirth <laughs> only you <laughs> only me I know I know somebody help me Lord have mercy um, <laughs> um, but yeah I was like no 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 tell I I really want to know tell me now and she she said are you serious and I said yeah and I grabbed some I grabbed my journal because I had brought my journal just in case I wanted to go within while I was laboring. And I, I wrote down absolutely every single thing that she had done to get to the place where she was at that moment. And that included nutrition. She was a certified nutritionist. She had um, a, a massage therapist um, certification as well. She knew about herbology and homeopathy. And she was... Um, a life coach, uh, somebody, a therapist who worked with, you know, relationships and emotional trauma. And so I did all the things. I literally nursed my son until he was three, and then after that, I started. So my son is now 27. He'll be 28 this year. And I haven't stopped. I started off as a postpartum doula, 
which I love because I really feel that postpartum period is so important and it's the missing piece. And we can talk more about that later if you'd like. Um, but no, I really you can feel like it's, whenever it's, you're ready to delve into it. If you want to talk about it now, <laughs> let's get into it because I was going to ask okay. you to differentiate between I didn't know that there was a difference. I thought a doula was a doula. You could do both of those things. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, well, let me be the one to share. <laughs> um, <laughs> for our uh, listeners who may not be familiar with what a doula is, can you give yeah. us a definition and, you know, and then we'll move into what it is that you do. But some, some people may not be familiar with that term. Okay, sure. Okay, sure. Uh, so... Uh, the, the word doula is derived from um, a Greek term, I believe, and the definition means woman servant. So we have always had that position filled. It just wasn't called a doula. There was always a mother, an auntie, a sister, a friend in the birthing room with a mama, right? And um, so, but they had labeled it, and it was there was a name for it, and that name is the name that stuck that, that took uh, instead of um, just saying, you know, my mom was with me or my sister was with me and somebody was there as a doula. Mm-hmm. A doula is not a medical person. So that's the difference between a doula and a midwife. A doula is somebody who is there for emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical support during labor during pregnancy and labor, um, a good doula is actually preparing the birth mother and the birth family to have an empowered, uninvasive, natural, normal vaginal birth where they are empowered and they are educated so they can make really strong choices. And that looks like everything from referencing books, and videos to helping them find certain practitioners to um, helping them with their nutrition because everything that happens in pregnancy can be prevented or treated through diet. Believe it or not, you don't have to take any medication and you don't have to become a high risk. If you have, there's ways to alter, you know, the curve and through the diet and, um, so a good doula is going to look at all those points, and if she sees that a mom is veering off into a high-risk category, she's going to pull her back, and she's going to educate her, and she's going to empower her to make some different choices so that she stays in an area where she can be um, laboring with the less amount of intervention possible. So that's the, that's the labor doula. Um, the postpartum doula is a doula who picks up after the labor doula has finished. So um, myself as a labor doula, I will do um, a few, at least three postpartum visits. And so then that's where I'm complete unless I'm hired for the whole package, you know, from pregnancy to labor to postpartum. Postpartum picks up after the baby is home and it's focusing on that transition period. It's focusing on finding the new rhythm of that baby into the family. It's focusing on making sure mother's hydrating, making sure mama's eating, making sure father is feeling a part of it, it has his role and it's helping, um, making sure there's not too many visitors afterwards. 
Because, you know, they need to sleep. Everybody needs, and all that good oxytocin, all that good juicy, loving feeling belongs to the mom and the mama, the birth family, you know, even mm-hmm. if they're children. All of them should be loved up on that bed, experiencing this new life and getting familiar with that new life and who they are after that new life has joined them. Because one of the, the things I've noticed as being a labor doula is that the parents are not just birthing that baby, they're birthing themselves as well. I was going to ask you a question about that. You know, you you went into that labor one way, but when you come home for somebody different, and and I work a lot with the the couples, um, the birth parents, to, you know, to keep that relationship nice and juicy and intimate and to and I always tell tell the birth both both of the birth parents I'm like listen so she's going to have this baby and she's going to be a whole different chick so you're going to have to reintroduce yourself to her and you're going to have to figure out you know who you are at this moment and I want you to just basically court her all over again you are wooing her because you you know you both are different. You got to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm I'm the mom. <laughs> you know, it's a yeah. whole reconfiguration of body, mind, spirit, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful journey because it's a, it's one of the most powerful rites of passages that we have. Um, but yeah, it's it's really about that the the idea that there's a postpartum doula. There is. There's also even preconception doulas. Did you know that? There no, are, I honestly thought that the one doula could do it all. So thank you for enlightening me. <laughs> Some doulas do do it all. Some doulas will do it all. Um, but there, there are some who specify the categories that they're in, and there's also um, a certain class of women who love to support in transition, and they are death doulas. Mm-hmm. And they they focus on the last breath as opposed to the labor doulas focusing on the first breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm aware of that. Yeah. Pretty powerful okay. work, the death doula. It is very powerful work. So I'm curious, um, what happens from what you've seen when the birthing process is not treated as a sacred ceremony. Ooh, okay. So that's where we get into the difference of a mama coming in who's well-educated, well-prepared, who feels empowered, who has autonomy, who knows that this is her body, her baby, her birth, as opposed to someone who comes into that hospital and surrenders up her power to somebody she thinks knows more than she does. It is really about having that mama trust herself and trust the process and trust her body to do what it has to do. And, you know, unless there's some type of physiological or um, something to do with anatomy that is, is, is interfering in the labor process, the only thing that gets in the way of a mama having a vaginal birth is that mind space, that mindset. Um, 
because the body's going to have a baby if the mom is unconscious. She can be in a coma and the body will still do it. Mm-hmm. So that lets you know that it's literally mind, mind issues that will stop the flow. And if you are in a hospital setting and they are coming in which, with what, you know, we call interventions, and an intervention can be anything from a labor doula coming too early to them coming in to constantly do temperature checks, constantly do belly checks, vaginal checks, uh, to put the tocos and listen to the baby. Um, You know, all of those things can't interrupt the process. Coming in asking all the questions, coming in having to fill out the paperwork, coming in and doing all the blood draws. All those things will take a mama out of the birth bubble and make her go into her 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 brain, make her go into her mind, make her, you know, we don't birth from our minds. We birth from the limbic brain, which is the emotional space and place. And if she doesn't have the time or the space to drop into that place, then labor can start and stop. It can slow down, all the things, you know. But when you leave a mama alone and let her do her thing, let her eat when she wants to, let her drink when she wants to, let her walk around. She can, you know, she can do it beautifully without anything. And then you do intermittent checks. We, and we know that intermittent checks work just as well as, you know, constantly having a, a monitor on the mama. You know, I love to humanize those women, get them off of all the machines and get them up and get them in their bodies so they can feel how they need to move, so they can trust their intuition, so they, they can start to be, you know, engage with that baby. And, that, and when they're engaging together, then they can move together to, you know, achieve that vaginal birth. There's a conversation that's going on that whole labor time, and if she's not in tune with that, she can't, she can't listen, she can't hear if somebody's constantly interrupting her. So we don't, we don't ask a lot of questions in labor. You know, we don't say, are you thirsty, do you want some water? We just put the water in front of her. Because trust me, if she don't want it, she's going to slap your hand out the way or she's going to shake her head. Remember <laughs> <laughs> that. Yeah, and if you put a little bite of food in her face, she'll either eat it or she'll she'll walk away or she'll say, uh-uh, or whatever. But we keep her in her bubble, in her power place, and we keep that partner really close to her so that that partner can really anchor her into what she's doing because the partner knows her better than any of us, right? And the the doctors and the nurses are there as a just-in-case. That's the mindset that I bring my clients in for, which is why I have very few cesareans. I'm like, they're your just-in-case people. It's the same way at a home birth. Midwives are like, you do your thing. We're going to just be here. We have all the equipment and tools and the medication we need, but you just do your thing. Everything's fine. And it's a mother-led birth, which is why home births have a lot more success rates than hospital births. But hospital births are very, you know, it's a hard, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's, a, it's hard because we're very it's litigious. Sterile. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's def- definitely sterile. So you can, it's, it's, bacteria-wise, it's safer at home, 
We know this to be true. But um, we're a very litigious country. So the hospitals have set up a lot of things to take care of themselves, to protect themselves from being sued, because we sue left and right for everything. And because of that, because people have wrongfully sued, now they've got safeguards up that they do automatically so that they can't get sued. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and so, sure, that's not the only industry that does it because we're such a litigious country, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately. But it, 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 it impacts the choices and the freedoms for the birth families, you know. So, like, we've got it set up where it's, you know, now it's changing here in Los Angeles. But if I left California and went someplace in the Midwest, they'd look at me like I was crazy if I said, no, she's not going to do an automatic IV. No, she's not going to do that monitor the whole time. She's going to do intermittent, 20 minutes on, 40 minutes off. No, she's not going to lay in bed. She's going to get up. No, she's going to wave that. Uh, no, she doesn't want that. No, she's going to, you know, that's um, that's a different uh, way of looking at it, and but we know that the less inven- interventions that happen, the more successful the mama's chances of having a vaginal birth are. Mm-hmm. So, how do you get the mother into this mindset? For example, as a facilitator of active childbirth, what advice do you normally give to the mom? And then, in this era now where we have this epidemic or pandemic going on, um, are there extras, that extra information that you give to the mom and family to help ensure that the birth is successful? Well, let's see. Um, so I, I do a lot of prenatal appointments. So I'm, I'm, I know a lot of doulas just do a few but I'm really trying to build a relationship of trust and communication, so that means I have to be in proximity. We have to build that relationship, and they have to know that they can trust me and that I hear them and I'm, I see them. So there's a lot of prenatal visits, and when in those prenatal visits are me educating them about the labor process, not just, you know, the big picture of labor, but actually I go into the moments and the phases and the and the stages, um, and I I go through a role play of what the hospital will do and say, and then I give them their options. Now, what they do, what they choose, is up to them. It's not about me. I'm the role of a doula. A doula's role is an egoless role. It has nothing to do with me or what I think of my opinion. It has everything to do with empowering the, that family to do what they feel is the best thing for them. So I will educate them to my fullest capability. If they ask me my opinion, I will tell them sometimes. <laughs> if they ask me what I did, what, what my choice was for my three kids, I will tell them. So, But it's, it's, it's really about them because if they can't make up their own minds at this point, then somebody else is going to end up raising their children because they're going to be listening to everybody else and not their own in their voice. 
So my job is to get them ready to be parents and parents as they would like to be, not their mom and dad, not their friends, not their pastor, not their rabbi, none of that. All about the way they would like to be parents. And then that reflects on the way they would like to be partners, you know, who they say they are as partners to this child. So that that role takes time, and so I do a lot of prenatal visits, and we have a lot of deep conversations. And by the time I'm done, they're really excited and ready to go, um, but they're excited about the new discoveries in themselves. You know, I've turned, I've, I've worked with their mindset to change it from being the scary thing that they're about to do. Mm-hmm. to be in this adventurous thing that they're about to do. Right. Because um, giving birth should be your greatest achievement, not your greatest fear. Right, right. And you know, it's been it's been um it's been a hard road because a lot of people have fear around it and they have fear um because there's not a lot of information on it, you know. Um, or their choices are, are ridiculed. So I do a lot of education. Now, in these times of COVID, I'm not only dealing with the stress and the fear of having a baby, especially if it's first-time parents, but I'm also dealing with the stress and the fear of COVID, of going into a hospital situation, and contracting COVID, um, and also, believe it or not, but actually you could believe this, the fear of retaliation from a doctor who just might happen to be somebody who believes in the things that are causing the rioting, the protesting. Mm-hmm. Wow, I can believe that, but it's something that it just didn't occur to me. Did you think about it? I know. I have <laughs> thought about that just generally in dealing with uh, physicians. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I would say that's always, or for a lot of people, that's a thought in the back of their heads because it, okay, let me slow down. It's a thought <laughs> because you have people that don't go to the hospital and don't seek medical care because of those type of suspicions. Right. Sure. Because of, you know, thinking that there's going to be some disparity or some lower level quality. And quite often it's not unfounded because they know that they're not being treated properly. Right. You know, so, so that's something I think that's with a lot of people anyway. And then you add on what we're going through now, so that mm-hmm. definitely is um is is a thought with a with quite a few people that that I can speak for and to you know say that that is definitely a thought and even more so now and even more so now it's it's a it's a real thing because you know what if you know the republicans are having a bad day and mm-hmm. the doctor happens to be a republican and is just feeling some kind of way about you. So so That's forget scary. about it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. they took, yeah. You know, and some of the um, 
some of the abuse, and I'm going to use that word abuse and violence against uh, black women in the hospital setting is ridiculous. Oh, let me just tell you. Okay, I just cut myself off, but I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I was in a hospital with um, a client, some clients, and they had, they were young, um, but very well educated, beautiful. They were black. And do you know that um, the Child Protective Services were called in on them just because they were a black couple? They had nothing. There was no reason other than that they were black, and they started questioning about abuse and drug use. Now, all her blood work came back negative for anything. They just profiled. And, and this is the thing. They asked questions of my black clients that they do not ask of the white clients that I have, which I have a lot of. Um, but they are not treated the same way. And literally in this hospital, which I'm not going to name, but in this hospital, sitting in the, in the bed next to my couple was this young white girl, um, Really pretty thing, but very, um, what's the word? Um, like you could tell she's been through a lot. Mm-hmm. Like she, she's gone through a lot. Her and her man were over there, and she was definitely rolling on something, and he was too. But they didn't even check them. And I, just, I had to, and because my clients were overwhelmed, by the fact that CPS was there and the police were there. I had to step in as as an advocate. Now, normally I, I'm just there. I'm not advocating. I'm there having my clients advocate for themselves. I have done the work to allow them to open their mouths and speak for themselves. But in this case, and this is what's happening now a lot, I have to step in because I'm not going to allow any abuse I'm not going to allow any double talk. I am not going to um, allow any um, railroading at all. And so literally when they, my clients were stumbling over words and they just started asking them lots of questions, just variety of lots of questions, um, I said, can you slow down so that they can answer one question first? And then they were like, who are you? <laughs> And they start to say, oh, the nurse starts to say, oh, this is their doula. And my clients start to say, this is their doula. And I said, I'm Reverend Hayes Hawk, and I'm here for them. And you need to slow down so that they can answer your questions. Your intention really is to have them answer the questions. Make and it clear that you understand what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, you know, and they just looked at me. Um, and they said, well, we have to ask them questions. I said, that's great. They are more than willing to ask questions, but can you tell them why you're asking them questions? Like right now you just came in, no introduction. You just started questioning them. So I I would say let's do, have a do-over. Let's just start with the beginning. Who are you guys? What are your names? Where are you from? Why are you here? Mm-hmm. And then they had to turn the whole thing around. They could have started wilding out, right? But they didn't because 
there were other people in the room. There was the other couple who were rolling who had started to get very vocal because for them they're tripping out because they're on drugs. Um, and um, they're just like, what? what's happening? You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> and then the nurse has called the um, doctor in because she now is noticing this couple. And as the, the um, CPS says, well, we are going to have to test you and test your baby. And I said, they have already had their blood test. The, there's no need for the baby to have a blood test. Her, the baby's sugar levels are fine. There's no question that the baby's thriving. Um, I said, why would you need to take the mother's blood again? They already have some. Can you get that? And they said, well, we have, um, a, we have a suspicion of drug use. I said, there's no suspicion of drug use here. But over there in that, in that bed, you might want to look and see. But over here, there's nothing happening. And so we would like to know <laughs> who told you to have them check. Turns out it was their doctor. Wow. That the doctor that suspected for whatever reason that there was drug use and that because of um, a bruise that she had on her leg that she had been beaten up. Oh. The bruise came from her stumbling out of bed in the middle of the night running to go pee because she was pregnant. Ask the question. <laughs> don't don't ask the question. questions. Yes. And I said, see, if you had pulled the gentleman aside and said, you know, we just have an inquiry. We noticed that there's a bruise on her leg. You know, yeah. why you got to make it wrong first? Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a lot of that that's that colliding now with the fear of the pandemic and the fear of this virus. And so mamas are hyper, hyper, hyper stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm doing a lot of relaxation techniques, a lot of anxiety relieving meditations. Um, I'm, I'm encouraging them to get out in nature and to, you know, just walk on the grass, to sit on the ground, to lie on the ground, to put their backs up against the tree, like anything that's going to ground them and connect them and slow their bodies down, like by taking deep breaths, mm-hmm. several deep breaths, like at least three deep breaths, you send your body back into homeostasis because that vagus, vagus nerve relaxes. And it just brings you back. And a lot of, you know, a lot of, of my clients, I have a mixed bag. I have some whites, I have some blacks. I have some who are wealthy and some who are not. And the ones who are not, you know, there's a lot of of me educating them about the joys and love of nature outside of a barbecue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And, you know, I'm like, you know, explaining to them why it's important. And also having them own it again because we are of nature. As black Mm -hmm. people in America – we were plucked up out of one of the most beautiful, gorgeous, resourceful countries, continents on the planet. You know, Africa mm-hmm. is gorgeous. It's beautiful and so many different types of terrains, but we were always in nature. Mm-hmm. And just because they plucked us up and put us here in the concrete jungle or wherever doesn't mean that we can't relate to it and doesn't mean that it can't feed us, but it does feed us. It feeds our souls. So, my clients are encouraged to be in nature, 
even in these COVID times, I'm like, if you got a backyard, go to the backyard. If you don't have a backyard, I need you to go outside, just go for a walk and breathe and slow down and just notice the leaves and pay attention to the birds and, you know, especially during these times when everybody was locked in, you know, sheltering in place, the birds were on point. They were just like, ooh, they were tra la and singing and whistling all over the place. That's and right. the sky no was interference. <laughs> no interference whatsoever. And the wind was just like the wind patterns changed. Like it was just like this healing time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the requirements for my clients now. And especially – now, because I'm not able to go into some hospitals, because some hospitals do not consider doulas essential for a labor, which is ridiculous. Ridiculous. But I can go in virtually. So for the clients that I can go into the hospital with, I do. And then the ones who I cannot, I go, I'm outside just in case dad needs to come down and, and connect with me and ground with me and get some clarification but they just bring me in on the phone in that labor room and I'm right there and so if somebody comes in and says we feel like you're not progressing uh, fast enough and we just want to encourage that because you've been in this this space for a while and we want to give you Pitocin I, I will say excuse me so what I'm hearing is that you're saying that um contractions have slowed down and you like to see them pick up and that um, everything is fine though, the baby's fine, the mother's fine, and they say, yes, it's totally fine. I say, okay, well, can they have 30 minutes to talk about that? You know, they're just going to make some great choices, so they're going to have some conversations about that. And if they hem and haw on it, I say, well, they need to pray on it. Then they run out the room. Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) and, And then I say, okay, guys, this is what you need to do because they are saying that the, um, the contractions have slowed down, and that might be partially because of the position you're in. It could be because you're lying down. It could be because you're dehydrated. Let's do some things. Let's get you up. Let's get you dancing. Let's get you squatting. Why don't you go get in the shower? Let's get you on the toilet. Let, you know, we try things. And I said, they won't be back for a minute because I told them you're going to pray on it. So you guys have all the time in the world. Go into the bathroom Leave me out here on this phone. You guys go in the bathroom. You cuddle. You kiss. You touch. You do whatever you need to do to get that oxytocin flowing. And when they pick back up again, then we, you know, call them back in. And there's there's lots to do before we get to the point where we have to use what the hospital can provide. But that being said, if the if it comes to a point where I see. Because that sometimes, I, like this last birth I did virtually, I said, you know what, could you hang up and put me on video so I can see her? And you know, hey, so, every question I get ready to ask you, you just say it. <laughs> Thank you very much for being such a great guest. <laughs> I'm just quiet because it's like, okay, hello. <laughs> You let me know if I ramble too much because no, this is you know, beautiful. This is, so much this is beautiful. Yes, it okay. is. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I will. I will ask them to put me on video, video, so I can see her. And if that her body is beyond tense, like if she, if her glutes are clenched and her thighs are up, and she's kind of walking on her tiptoes and bending forward, I'm gonna 
I'm going to say, babe, I need you to drop in. Take your breath all the way down over your belly through those thighs. And we need to loosen up the thighs. Kind of let your butt cheeks relax. You know, I'm like trying to coach her. But if she cannot do that and the baby starts to show me signs of stress um, and, excuse me, distress, and if we are not able to move forward, like I can tell, like there's no, there's no need to do vaginal checks. You can tell where a mama is by how she's acting, how she's breathing, and how quickly the contractions are coming together. And so if I see all those things and I see she's getting tired, I'm going to be the first one to say, listen, love, you have done brilliantly. This has been an amazing achievement. I am celebrating what you have accomplished in doing this, and I know that you have requested that you not have any medication and you not have any kind of interference. So I am seeing that you and your baby are just a little tired. And I think that if you had this epidural, you would get some sleep and some rest and maybe in an hour, maybe even less, you'll be holding your baby in your arms. Mm-hmm. And, don't, and they're like, can we just break the bag? I'm like, no. If you were a little closer to 10, then maybe. But right now, I, I think that that would be a choice that would lead us down a different path, and that's the path that I absolutely do know you do not want. So let's yeah. do this. Let's, try, let's do this epidural. And, um, and usually I'm, if I see it and I say that, literally I'm always dead on an hour to 45 minutes, maybe even less, that that baby's coming. And, um, and you know, and I'm like, you can ask for the low, low, low cocktail because mm-hmm. that's the thing about having a conversation with the anesthesiologist. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. what is your cocktail? Because they're all different. Each anesthesiologist has their own favorite thing, their own recipe, and so you got to find out what that recipe is. And then mm-hmm. you say, listen, we know we're close. We know that she's going to have a baby soon. Um, the only reason why we're getting this is because she's tired. So how about we do this low dose? Mm-hmm. We just need her to, to be able to sleep for a little bit. This baby's going to be here as soon as her body relaxes. If you have a good anesthesiologist, they're going to exactly understand what you're saying. And they will do exactly that. And then it wears off quicker, and then that mama can get with her baby um, and nurse and do everything right away. I mean, usually they can anyway because it's going to happen so fast. And then what I hear (laughs) from the mama is like, oh, man, I almost made it. I could have done it. Yeah. I wish I could have. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, well, sweetheart, you know, this was your first baby, and you didn't know how long you had to go. And even though I was telling you, you know, you were in your body feeling the things, and um, they're just, you weren't able to relax, and your body was stressed out. I said, but I guarantee you, if you do this again, you won't have an epidural. You won't need it. And um, and that always makes them feel better. But I'm just telling them the truth, you know, that, that they have they have everything it takes to be able to do a vaginal birth the way they want to do it. Um there have been a couple of times where I have said, okay, I've tried the homeopathy, I've tried the herbal remedies to get those contractions to pick up, we've tried nipple stimulation, we've tried all the things, 
and it's still not working. And then I will say, okay, so we've changed positions, we've tried um, different supplements and herbal remedies, and we still have these really far-paced um, contractions. So let's have a conversation about a low dosage of Pitocin. What if we did just a little bit? Because then maybe it'll flip and your body will start and then you can get off of it. They don't realize that they can get off of it. They don't realize that they can say, okay, that's enough. I want to stop that and see if their mm -hmm. body will flip into labor itself, into heightening those contractions. So I will do that. And I'll say, let's start her off on a two. And most of the time, this is what's funny. I'm looking at the reactions from the, the nurses and they're like, who are you again? <laughs> right. They're shocked that you know all of this. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And you, you know their lingo. <laughs> I know the lingo. I know what everything's meaning. I've been, you know, I've taken the classes. I know how to read a monitor. I've been certified in fetal monitoring and reading. I know how, I know all those things, but I, I, that's the reason why I went to midwifery school, to make me a better doula. Like I thought, you know, mid, home birth is not for everyone, right? And Every woman should have the right to have the baby where she wants to have the baby. And every woman deserves to be able to be empowered and have, you know, a beautiful vaginal birth. So that's the reason why I actually wanted to go to midwifery school. I wanted more education for myself so I could educate them. And especially here in Los Angeles, I wanted to be able to educate the, the, the sisters in South Central and Compton and Watts the ones that I'm having to really educate and the ones I'm having to bring food in for because there's no fresh food, you know, they don't, they don't have the same conversation as the people who are living in West Hollywood or Santa Monica, you right. know? Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to go back to school so that I could absolutely empower them and educate them so they can make some powerful choices when they are in, um, hospitals that are not necessarily the best hospitals, mm -hmm. but they can come in and be them, but their best self, right? And, and be support, empowered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I support the best that, uh, that I can to my ability. Mm -hmm. And now I was thinking, you mentioned isolation, and it could be that those hospitals that are not necessarily the best are the ones who may have more stringent policies about barring visitors and leaving the mom in a position where her network is not able to be there for her. Isn't that crazy? And the, yeah. Yeah, and then the isolation. Go ahead, Pace. No, I'm just saying it hurts my heart. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It just hurts my heart that sometimes in these hospitals, the, fa the father or the birth partner cannot even go in. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything that um, that they should do to kind of prepare for that, especially if they are um, likely to have their child during this pandemic, which we know is, is continuing? Um, mm -hmm. How can they, is it anything that they can do to prepare themselves um, emotionally, mentally? What, could, what should they expect? Yeah, so they can 
there's there's a few books and certain things that I have been recommending to people because there there are people who just kind of contact me randomly like on social media and they are in that situation and um, I I would suggest the book the birth partner for the birth partners it's actually great for both the birth mama and the birth partner but it will give you a step-by-step of the flow and the things to empower mama and what where your rights are mm-hmm. that's a great book and a great resource um, there have been certain videos that I've sent them and documentaries that I recommended like the business of being born if they have no idea what birth looks like in the hospital then I, I, I inform them to look at that um, there are a lot of virtual um, birth classes especially virtual birth classes by women of color that I will direct them to. Okay. Um, yeah, like some, some, like some amazing ones. And so I will direct them to all of that. And I, then I kind of will set up a time if they want that I will give them a step-by-step and let them know the possibilities. This could happen. This could happen. This could happen. If this happens, do this. If this happens, do that, you know, and, um, a lot of them, they say, you know, and this is the thing. If I have the time and space, then I'm going to just work with them. Whether they can afford me or not, it doesn't matter. And I'm just going to say, you know, call me if something comes up or you, have, you go through something you don't understand or there's a test or a screen or a marker they want to do and you don't know if you have to do it. Just let me know and I'll support you. And if you want to call me when you're in labor, call me, and if I'm not in a labor, I will support you. And if I am in a labor, I will find somebody to support you. If they're reaching out to me, you know, I don't want to leave them hanging. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to be able to give them other resources. And right now, we have so many, oh, my gosh, Carla Ling has created a whole virtual doula, like, just amazing. These women are stepping up to, to be proactive and be helpful for people who are low-income or can't afford it or people who just want support. And Bree um, Riley also has frontline doulas. There's, there's things out there, but just people don't know what they are. So if they reach out to me, I'm kind of directing them to all these other places and spaces and other women who are actually there ready and waiting to support them during this and, pandemic time and are all skilled. And how do people contact you, Hayes? Uh, okay, I do not have a website. I know you're going to ask me if I have a website. I do not no, have a I website. No, I was not. <laughs> girl, I, girl, I know, I know. You I just think busy I, by word of mouth. You don't need a, word, I, a it's, website. It's word of mouth. <laughs> it's word of mouth. I, just, I, I had one at one point, but then I don't have time to be keeping it up, and I don't have time to be looking at it. I just... You know, it's just easier to get me um, either my social media, DM me, my um, Instagram or my Facebook page, um, or my number. Like, a lot of people just get my number from other people (laughs) and call me, um, or they text me first because I don't answer all the calls. But they'll text me, and then I can see it, and then I'll engage. And if it's the right energy and the right vibration, then... um, we can go from there. But if it's not, I can say, you know what, I don't think I'm the doula for you, but I think I know exactly who would be great for you. 
do you mind if I refer you? And they're amazing. And then I just hook up other people, you know, because awesome. the vibe's got to be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. There's a lot of interaction <laughs> going on. So I know that these babies are stronger. They're more knowing. They're doing things faster. Are the mothers more knowing as well? Well, so they're either going into fear or they're going into intuition. And we know that the birth space and place offers up that, that opportunity for uh, a woman to really step into her medicine and to step into that, that psychic ability, that intuition space and place, that limbic brain where it all comes from. Some of them will stay in fear. They're afraid of discomfort. They're afraid of the pandemic. They're afraid of repercussions. They're afraid of what's going to happen to their bodies because society has told them one thing. Um, you know, it's just a whole bunch of fear. So when I'm working with the client, we're working through all those things. We tackle all the fears, all the anxiety to get that mama to a place where she's owning it and she's trusting in her divine feminine energy. And when they can do that, then, yes, intuition is heightened. Um, they start embracing their magic. It becomes something that it can change their life. Like I have had women who are type A, OCD, work in the business and industry and just like doing the thing, work 60 hours a week, even would not stop working when I told them to stop working when they were pregnant, pushed it up to 38 weeks. When they have their baby and they fall in love and their intuition tightened and they can feel and hear what the baby needs without the baby having to do or say anything, then they're like, hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know if I want to go back to work. I don't know if I want to do this. I think I want this and I want that. And, you know, I think I'm going to homeschool. And I think, like, this whole rearranging of their cells and their energy and this, their embracing their true nature instead of the nature society placed upon them. That is a beautiful unfolding that I like to see. Um, and, and so I would say it's, it's, it's becoming more prevalent where the moms are really tuning in. If they're coming to me, if they're choosing me, if they're seeking me out, then that's the type of work we're doing. I'm not for everybody. Not, not everybody wants to go deep like this. So I know I'm not everybody's doula. I'm not going to be everybody's midwife. Um, but if they do want to do some deep, beautiful work, if they do want to make it a rite of passage and to honor their sacred journey, if they do want to um, birth themselves anew out of it, then they're going to find me. Yeah, perfectly aligned. So for yeah. those who, let's say, they don't have a you <laughs> to help them through uh-huh. that anxiety and the stress and they're experiencing um, a lot of pressure from the experience, maybe as a first-time mom, and the environment, and Mm -hmm. going through this pandemic that we're going through now. And it could even be a lot of economic stress, too, because a lot of people are not working, so they don't have money flowing in, and, and that's about the big stress issue that people will have, especially when you have to consider how to feed yourself. What impact does yeah. that have on the baby? Well, it can have a, it can have a, a, yeah, a huge impact on the baby. 
so what I do is I um when I when I'm when I'm talking to them and I would encourage and I, I believe that a lot of doulas are doing this because I'm not, you know, I'm nothing but my environment and I have a lot of sister doulas who are amazing and powerful and really connected and really doing some great work. And we're all looking at ways to in, empower the mamas. Um, but I, I have them go into what is true. What, is, what do you know is absolutely true in this moment? Right here, right now, are you okay? Right here, right now. If the answer is yes, then I'm asking you to step into that, hold that dear to your heart and trust that. If the answer is no, then I'm going to ask you to find a way to to have that answer change to a yes. There are lots of facilities, lots of um, programs happening right now, lots of programs where um, they can be placed with a doula for free. Like I said, Frontline Doulas and uh, Carla Lang's um, doulas, they they are doing it out of the the their love of birth and their love of empowering women. Um, I would encourage them to to breathe deeply because a lot of us are shallow breathing right now. We're not mm-hmm. taking deep breaths, and that's going to send our body into a stress mode. Um, I would encourage more nature, right? Um, I would encourage community, and this is the this is the hard part about being shelter in place. Because divided, we can be conquered, but united, we can thrive and, and, and live. And if there's a mom who is a single mom and she's by herself in a small apartment and she doesn't have anything, then I've been encouraging them to call um, some of the major, uh, some of the, um, like Black Infant Health, uh, um, Black, Black Mothers Matter, um, there's a lot of organizations where they are setting things up to be able to support women like that. Um, there are lots of free counsels, therapy sessions online. Even just if, if they have a computer, even if they don't, they can get to the library. It's, they're right there. Like if you are looking for it, you can find it. Um, but, yeah, it's about dropping deep into your faith whether you are um, religious in the sense of that you are, you know, you go to church and you have a relationship with God, drop deeply, deeply, deeply into that relationship. If you are following a traditional religion or practice uh, like Yoruba or Ifa, drop in deeply with your Ori, drop in deeply with your Orishas. If you are a spiritual person, not necessarily religious, then you get in touch with that infinite wisdom that you know is always present, and you ground yourself in it. This is a time of a flexing of muscles for all of us, not even just the ones who are pregnant. But you can't just say you believe something anymore. You've got to be steeped in it now. And it's important to do it now. Yeah, to practice it, to speak it, practice it, own it. Live it, and those are the tools. Those are the things that I'm seeing make a difference with the mamas I'm working with. Thank you. This has really been powerful. You've been listening to Hayes Hawk, who is a birth and postpartum doula, childbirth educator, and peer lactation consultant. 
So I know you can be contacted on Facebook at Hayes Hawk, H-A-I-Z-E-H-A-W-K-E. What's your IG mm-hmm. info? My, my IG is I am Hayes Hawk Rosen. Okay. Well, thank you so mm-hmm. much for joining us this evening. It has been a pleasure and an education, and I'm sure that listeners will be empowered with all of the resources that you've shared. Thank you so much. You ladies are amazing. I really am so grateful to have been here. Thank you, and have a good night. Until the next time, remember to infuse harmony into your everyday living.